1: Time now for the Church of the Week, showcasing churches and pulpit ministries from across the greater San Francisco Bay Area.
0: Equipping the saints to know, understand, and live life with kingdom purpose. Essentially what it means to understand and embrace, as Christ suggested, not just the Greatest Commandment, but the Great Commission as well. That is at the heart of the ministry of our guest today and Cedars Church of Newark. We're pleased to have joined us today, the Senior Pastor of Cedars Church, Tim Ruiz. Pastor Tim, welcome. Thank you. Uh, First, I'm just curious, started this church in 2017, right leading into the cusp of a pandemic just a couple of three years later. That must have been quite the challenging experience.
2: It was. It was. So actually, we were a church merge of two different churches um, that came together in January of 2017 uh, to start this uh, new mission, this new vision that the two churches shared in common and began to uh, join forces on. So yeah, we had about three years of ramp up before everything radically changed.
0: Yeah. <laughs> three years of ramp up and then the brakes got put on. Uh, but, yes. But but clearly on the backside of this, a couple of years later, uh, the church has survived. You've learned to essentially morph with the challenges and take advantage of technology that's out there, live streaming, things of that sort. Uh, that's continued the church to not only um, continue to survive, but to thrive. All wrapped around that core mission which i think is so vitally important and i want to spend some time today talking about it that 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 sense of front and center the compassion for those around us to not only live out the notion of loving god with all of our heart mind body soul and our neighbor as ourselves but then too to be about the master's business when it comes to fulfilling the great commission and my goodness In a region like the San Francisco Bay Area, there are a few, if any of us, that need to have a passport and an airplane ticket to go out onto the mission field. Just open your front door.
2: That is correct. And actually, in the the Newark-Fremont area, I think we have even a bigger mix. I know in Fremont, which is the neighboring city for us, outside of, I believe, Afghanistan, uh, is the largest um, Afghan population, so we we have a tremendous influx um, of people from Afghan and all around the world. But um, yeah, it is a unique mix, especially in that part of the Bay Area.
0: Your background educationally, you have an MA in specialized ministry missions from Western Theological Seminary. Was that intentional, and and has that really helped to equip you in terms of of pouring into your people? Truth and encouragement, and essentially motivation to be out in the Bay Area in this mission field.
2: It, it was well. So when I was uh, finishing my degree at Western, I actually thought God was going to call my wife and I to foreign missions to another culture out there. And then He uh, threw at least threw me a curveball and changed the call to be local. So all the things I was planning for and the things I had been working on, you know, understanding cultures, how to. Understand languages, how to understand people, then to be able to deliver the gospel and make connections and relationships through cultural barriers. Those things haven't been wasted by any means because we get to use them every day here, but the initial idea or call was to go out there. And he said, well, out there, it was just outside your front door.
0: Yeah. And, and ultimately then that understanding of some of the cultural differences and challenges that were presented in articulating the gospel really has helped to equip you to do just that. As you point out, I don't know that there's any place in the country, perhaps no place else on the planet, that is quite as diverse as the San Francisco Bay Area is. And I guess that's a two-edged sword, isn't it? In, in one respect, it makes outreach a bit more challenging. But in another respect, it gives us the capacity as we are able to touch the lives of people that live here with friends and family that live abroad and other places, people that travel here for business or for vacation, to really kind of prepare even for ourselves, our own sense of of equipping little tiny missionaries that can be reached for Christ here and then go home wherever home might be to impact that part of the region, that part of the world for Christ.
2: Correct. Correct. And we know that even in the Bay Area, it seems that you know people come and go so frequently. You know, sometimes we may only have a pe- you know people for about two or three years to build into and establish relationships with before they're on to the next thing, which often means moving back out of the area or, like you said, going back home. Maybe they're in the Bay Area for schooling um, at some of the universities we have here and such. So it it is a it is a brief opportunity in some regards for that segment of the population to equip them, to love them, to give them the gospel message and trust that their next step along um, the way is going to continue that.
0: In some ways, it's no different than raising a child. I mean, they live with you for a period of time. You train up that child. You teach them the word. You educate them. You essentially prepare them for life. They leave the nest. They go to build a live of their own, and uh, the sense of the sociality of life in the San Francisco Bay Area. I think the the most recent study shows on average something like five-year average of home ownership before somebody moves on, uh, generally an opportunity somewhere else. And so they're here for a season and gone again. But wow, what an amazing opportunity for the church here in the Bay Area to get a chance to reach out and to touch so many lives with hope and the good news of the gospel.
2: True, true. And uh, what, just hearing you say those statistics, is funny. I, so I guess I bucked the trend or I uh, probably like in school, I lowered the curve. But <laughs> uh, So we've been in our in our house for 27 years. Uh, and then before that, um, before I got married, I, I was in the house to my parents for since, uh, what, 68 to 92, whatever math that is. Um, so um, my roots are in the Bay Area, born and raised. Um mostly the South Bay. And so, um, yeah, but, but I have seen, I have seen the trends very different from what I grew up in from what I experienced. And so it is, it is a bit of a challenge, What I like to always, um, mention to, to our congregation and keep before them, they always use the metaphor of a coin. So one coin can say, Oh, it's tough because, you know, we start to get to know them and then they leave whatever that means. But the other side of that coin means opportunity, So I always try to bring out the other side of the coin and the opportunity because it seems like, you know, a lot of times we'll look at one side of the coin and it's either the negative or the challenge or the hard part of it. And so I'm always trying to at least show another side of of the coin, you know, of the opportunity, the hope-filled side of things.
0: So, yeah. And I think a part of that, too, is is just normal human nature. We are, are strangers to change. We abhor change, particularly if we have a sense of being out of control, as that change might be happening. And yet, in an area like the San Francisco Bay region, and perhaps arguably even our own country, in the last several years, has seen enormous change, some of it good, a lot of it not so good, and yet here we are nevertheless as the church, empowered and challenged to nevertheless stand and deliver, deliver the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm curious, from your perspective, Pastor Ruiz, looking back on the totality of your time living here in the San Francisco Bay area as a Bay area native. And as you look at some of these challenges, what for you as a leader of the church, as a pastor of your congregation, what for you in your mind are some of the biggest challenges that we as the church, little C and large C need to overcome?
2: Yeah. Uh, So the first challenge that comes to my mind is The challenge of influence, and I don't think this is anything new to us or specific to us, but in our region, when it comes to the church, the church is meant to be the influence for the kingdom where it is. The challenge I think that we're seeing not only in the Bay Area, um, in America, and I think in Western society is the influence of the culture coming and clashing against the kingdom and the church needing to stand its ground on the word of God to maintain the influence she's called to have and so um you, you know that's been i think very evident in the bay area over the last you know decade or, or so of the battle of influence um and so i think that's one of one of the challenges you know one of the other challenges i know that we've seen personally is um you know with the rouse, the rising um prices of houses and and things like that, we've seen a number of people that are longtime barrier residents sell and move. Again, so here comes this double-edged sword, so this equity exodus that we've seen. But also then those people who are buying those houses, by and large, are moving into the area, are less churched than some of our friends that are moving out. So again, the, it brings the, the ratio of unchurched and churched um, into a bigger uh, discrepancy. But again, also comes with the idea of possibility so some of the some of the churches that you know many of the churches that i'm connecting with and and have friends with other pastors then they're saying the same thing that people are leaving and the people who are replacing um them as far as in the houses are less and less christian so that those are two of the bigger things i think in the bay area that we see and and have to try and live within
0: And, and as you point out with challenges come opportunities a lot of it depends on one's perspective and how we approach all of this to be right. sure, when we look at the Bay Area churched population, and uh, these numbers over recent years have held fairly steady, which I guess is good news, but again, it's also that double-edged sword that you referred to a moment ago, that we on average have only a 4% per capita regular church attendance rate in the San Francisco Bay region. And that, that doesn't include the folks that show up on Christmas and Easter. It's just the folks that show up regularly with some consistency on the average Sunday. Only 4% of a region that contains well over 9 million people, which from one perspective is overwhelming. From another perspective, it means that no matter where we turn, it's easy to find someplace place to which we can bring salt and light. Correct, and I,
2: I have actually used those similar statistics this year. I, back in January, in our in our vision talk that we do at the beginning each year in our congregational meeting, that same idea. Um, every year we have a a conference that we put on internally called an equipping conference. And last year in November we did so, and the theme was living sent. So this this idea of living missionally, kingdom minded, runs through um, who I am and, and how I lead. But equipping our saints to li- to love where they live, and live sent. And so God's called us here on purpose. And while we're here, we have a job to do. And so that idea of being a witness. And so wherever we go, we are called to be a witness. We're called to shine a light and. I guess the the greater the the darkness to use that metaphor, then every person that steps into it as a believer is that much more of a light should be outstanding in one regard um so yeah, I focus on the positive and see the opportunity that people can hear, and people can um can hopefully come to know Jesus by. Either coming to the local churches, or more importantly, the local churches going out into their neighborhoods.
0: Now, some folks eavesdropping on our conversation, right? Say, okay, guys, there you go. You've just proved my point. How difficult it is, Craig. You're talking about this. Looks like the mission field, Pastor. You're quoting statistics. Poor church attendance. This is a huge challenge, and 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 so therefore, you know, is it any wonder we're in the shape that we're in because it's so incredibly difficult? But I have to wonder. Is it really? I mean, in a sense, when we talk about sinners in need of a Savior, no matter what your makeup, your family background, your uh, language, the part of the world that you come from, we're all sinners in need of a Savior. And delivering that message and and essentially living out the hope of the gospel, being disciples and making disciples, that fundamental formula really hasn't changed down through the millennium, has it?
2: No, not at all. In fact, a, a lot of our focus on sunday this year has been kind of coming back to um the basics of what you just said and so i, I mean i look at it when jesus was you know was handing off the baton you know there were 11 disciples there was roughly you know, acts tells us i think it's 120 um people that were all in so that's a pretty small number for a pretty big region so I see that as hope. It's the same Holy spirit that filled them to be witnesses is the same Holy spirit. That's alive and active today to fill us. It's the, really the response of the church to say, uh, here I am, send me, you know, we, Jesus, uh, when he was calling his first disciples, he still calls disciples. He still calls them to, to follow, to be formed after him and to join him in his mission. That hasn't changed. It's pretty simple. And so if we do that based on, like you said earlier, the love of God, the love of our neighbor and the love of fellow Christians, um yeah, let's continue to focus on that
0: Is it really then in that in that regard pastor Ruiz a a, a trust and a confidence thing and i I asked that question because think back to the twelfth and and the beginnings. Here we are more than two thousand years after these events unfolded, and the the impact of the gospel continues to this day and yet you look at the original 12, one of which, by the way, ultimately betrayed him, a ragtag group that I would imagine the average pulpit committee would look at the resumes and say, no, denied, rejected. (laughs) There, There are probably very few on that list that the average person would say, yeah, you look like a good candidate to be a disciple of Jesus and set the world on fire. But that said, when you recognize that two millennia later, This ragtag group with nothing more than what they knew of their time with Christ on earth and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit and the obedience to follow in setting forth, uh, proclaiming the news and delivering the mandate has changed the world. And so I I guess if those 12 disciples back then could bring us to where we are today then maybe on our understanding as to how all this operates and what the challenges are may simply be a lack of understanding or obedience on our own part. Do you think that's true? I
2: do. Yeah. As you were saying that, you know, so in the very early part of the church as Acts chapter two through four. um, When Peter and John heal the beggar, then they get in trouble for doing a good deed. Um, But when they're, so when they're standing before the Sanhedrin, right, before the ruling party of the Jews, um, one thing they noted is that these two had been with Jesus. They were average, ordinary men who had been with Jesus. And I love that verse because <laughs> that's the category I put myself in. I'm not some great theologian. I'm not, uh, I'm just an average, ordinary guy that spends time with Jesus. And, um, so I, I play that. I think I like to play that to my advantage, um, and then that's just part of the relational aspect of it. I spend time with Jesus, having spent all of my life with Jesus, a couple for a few years, and then taking that relationship style to my neighborhood to love my neighbor um is yeah, is key to who I am and who we are building ourselves at Cedars.
0: And and, and when you put it in those terms, Pastor, um you not only simplify things, but you also remove a lot of the excuses. Let me give you an example. If somebody came to me and said, Craig, you know who Warren Buffett is? Oh, yeah, the big investor guy from Brookshire Hathaway, and he owns all these big companies across the globe, et cetera, et cetera. Well, tell me about Warren Buffett. What kind of a guy is he? What are his morals? What's he all about? I would have to say, you know what? I've never spent time with him, I know of him, but I don't know him personally, so I really can't share anything with you because I just don't know him. Some folks that perhaps struggle with sharing their faith with others maybe struggle because deep down there's a level in them that recognizes that they find it hard to talk about Jesus because it's somebody that they know of, but they don't know real well. Maybe they've even at one point given their life to him but have never spent time in the word, don't know what it is to be a disciple. And therefore, when they hear things like make disciples, share the good news, share your faith, reach others for Christ, they throw their hands up in the air. They feel entirely intimidated because they feel as if, you know, it's hard for me to talk about somebody that I don't know. But if you know them well, if I asked you, Pastor Ruiz, tell me a little bit about your wife, Diana, You could say, Craig, let me tell you how wonderful she is and go through this big laundry list. Why? Because you know her. I'm wondering if in some cases the real missing element, why some folks struggle with sharing their faith and why we don't see more dynamic stuff happening in the grander, greater church today is because we've got a large percentage of Christians that probably know more of him than know him personally. You think that's true?
2: I do. Um, And that's one of the things I know at Cedars. So one of our core um, focuses is equipping the saints for works of service. So that is, you know, how do we equip people to spend time with Jesus? How do we continue to focus on Jesus? That's really been um, the focus of our Sunday mornings so far this year. We're continuing to finish up a series on on the seven I am statements out of John. But just the clear we can know who Jesus is, and then know who he, what he did the greater, we even understand God and the Trinity, but it is having to recenter on the basics. I'm a huge sports fan. Um, one of the sports I love is baseball. And so I always use this metaphor. It, it's amazing that you have these professional, um, excellent athletes who every spring have to go down to either Florida or Arizona to re, um, study, practice the basics. And so um, in it, it, most everything that I'm aware of has a base foundation, basics for whatever study you're in, and everything builds on that. So if you take away the basics, you don't have um, growth beyond that. And so it is fundamental that we could keep coming back to the basics, grow from there, but, but staying firmly rooted in the basics um, is key. And I think part of what you were saying as well, and I agree with that, is people know of Jesus And then the challenge is to to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus. I think that's where the hard part is for us as believers, because then we have to let go of control, which is something you said earlier, um, and allow God to work in our lives to change us. And that's where I think the power of the testimony comes in. And I think that's where a lot of the struggle for many believers is, is they're good with the salvation part of, of Christianity, but they struggle more with the sanctification arm of that, of becoming more like Christ. And so that's where I think the, the the need is because then the more and more we become like Christ, maybe the easier, for lack of better words, it is to um, share. But there's one thing that, and we looked at this a few weeks back at our church, um, the idea of, of faith and doubt being hand in hand. And I go back to uh, Matthew 28 when, the 11 went out to meet with him before they received the great commission. It says that some, that they went and worshiped, but some still doubted. And so that word doubted like to change the, to wonder, right? Some worshiped and some still wondered like, how in the heck is this all happening? Um, and, and I think Jesus, obviously Jesus is big enough to handle our questions. Um, my, my great go-to on that is the book of Psalms, David, and um, deep man of faith and a man after God's heart, but he sure had some tough questions and tough complaints that he had no problem taking to God. And so um, I think the more and more we continue to, to worship and wonder with asking good questions, to wonder like, God, how is this going to work? How do you do that? Why do you do that? Asking heartfelt questions and allowing him to answer it and finding the answers in the word, build up our faith. I don't have too much of an issue with people coming to wonder in their worship. Yeah.
0: Absolutely not. And I think, in fact, Scripture encourages that. I want to pivot, if we can, Pastor Ruiz, to some of the the ministry opportunities there at Cedars Church. Um, Your meeting, I understand, uh, Sunday mornings, uh, both in person and online, and um, in, in terms of offerings and opportunities for uh, local families, my goodness, there's everything from soup to nuts and everything in between. Tell us more about um, some of the ministries within Cedars Church.
2: Yeah, some of the ministries. So um, we are meeting in person. We actually have been meeting in person for quite some time. Um, I think it was it 2020. Uh, we started meeting probably in about September, uh, July, outside live. Um so, um so still meeting outside one thing that is unique about our ministry is um, access for um, asl so we have an asl component um that we have for every every service and so that's one um access point um for for that um another one is we have been called to and this was part of the vision when we first merged was to raise up um, house church leaders and plant house churches. And now we're, we're also planting missional communities. So gathering people um, of faith and people who are exploring faith and, and actually pushing that ministry out into the neighborhoods and out into the homes where people can gather much more relationally, um, much more organically. So we've had a number of those that have, that have um, birthed. And then of course, pandemic shut most all of that down. But coming out of that, we're we're still keen on um, working with other local churches to serve um, the needy in the Tri-Cities area of Union City, Newark, and Fremont. So we're doing that with a ministry called Compassion Network, which is something we work together on for for reaching uh, those in in need in our community. So uh, very outreach-focused, very community-based, very... um, small groups based, if you will, in planting these very specific groups we're calling missional communities. Well, and, so those are some of the core things we have
0: going on. And I love that 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 house church Component because, in my mind, while most of us kind of in a broader sense see the church as a large building with a fancy steeple, choir all dressed in robes, and you know, 3,000 people sitting in the congregation, and that certainly is church, but real church, in a sense, particularly from a historical first century Book of Acts perspective, really is the house church, and it's in that environment, that more intimate environment that I would imagine that um, that iron sharpening iron kind of experience, that real true accountability and growth that that, that really uh, not only is fostered in that environment, but thrives in that kind of environment. Doesn't it, Pastor?
2: It does. It does. In fact, we had been looking for probably about the last four years. So we've been at a merged church for five years. So uh, year four, we decided at some point, Hey, you know, we have this second service that we'd like to try and do something different um and we didn't know what that was and so last year we pulled a group of people together from young people to old people married single female male just like what would it look like to have a, a different type of service and so we in november of last year changed the format of our 11 o'clock service to be um more um more like a small group at church. So the, the the sermon time is is honed down quite a bit. And then we have tables that we set up in the sanctuary for that service and have people gather in community, have questions that come up and have them then as part of the the time of the word, spend time together around questions to, to chew on it, to ask questions, to understand it and work much like some small groups would do. And so that's something that we've been trying out for the last six months. We're still trying to figure that out. We're tweaking it. Um, but again, we're going to try everything we can do to equip the saints for works of service and have them engage with the Word. And so that's one of the unique things that we've been doing the past six months.
0: Well, I, I I love that approach, and it and it certainly really goes to the heart of helping people understand what true discipleship looks like as well. We want to invite listeners to get more information about the ministry of Cedars Church. They're meeting at 38 325 Cedar Boulevard in Newark. You can get information on the web at cedars-church.com. That's cedars-church.com. Service times at 930 a.m. live and in person, and then 11 a.m. worship service as well. And is there a midweek uh, Bible study of any sort, Pastor?
2: Um, our one of our daughter churches has a Wednesday night um, service, um, but the midweek things that we're focusing on are these missional communities that we're birthing, and so that's our that's our midweek gathering.
0: Fantastic. And folks, can are going to get more information by uh, going online again to cedars-church.com, or you can call area code 510-791-8555. That's 510 791 8555 or online at cedars-church.com. Pastor Tim Ruiz, we appreciate so much uh, setting some time aside for us today and sharing a bit of your heart and your passion for the San Francisco Bay Area and a little bit about what God is doing in the ministry of Cedars Church. So thank you again so much for your time.
2: Thank you for the opportunity. We're moving into a new sermon series um, called Follow Me, or Follow, which really, to follow Jesus, really does require that we lay everything down to truly follow after Him. And this idea, I've been, I've been thinking about this for the last six months, and so we're coming to this for, for three weeks. It's gonna be anchored on a, a, a verse, a key verse that I'm sure most of us know fairly well. If you spent any time in Sunday school as a kid, um, I'm sure you memorized it. Um, but this idea of follow me, follow me. These words of Jesus, this invitation to follow him, isn't anything new. I mean, if we go back, uh, biblically thinking, back to the very call of Abraham to become a nation, God said, leave your home and your family and go to a place that you do not know, but I will show you, follow me. When God changed the heart of Pharaoh and led his people out of captivity in Egypt, he said, follow me. And in case you can't see where I am, here's a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud. Follow me. And when the baton was passed from Moses to Joshua, follow me. In the words of Joshua, I don't know what gods you're gonna follow, but as for me and my house, we are gonna follow Yahweh. Follow me. Follow me. The ultimate invitation, follow after God. So I'm anchoring this talk today out of the book of Matthew for the most part. And early on in Matthew, chapter 4, verses 12 and 13, it says, When Jesus heard that John, John the Baptist, his cousin, had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee, leaving Nazareth. He went and he lived in C- Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulon and Naphtali. Right, this area that was spoken about by Isaiah, that the, the Messiah would come from this area. He would come. And so John's ministry had ended with his arrest. And so I don't know if Jesus thought, well, I guess that ministry's over. It's time for the baton to be passed for his ministry. It's kind of like when you go to the movies and you're watching trailers of the movie that's going to come. And then the trailers end and then the movie starts. It's time for the movie. So, when John had been put in prison, it was time for the baton to be passed, and the preaching that the kingdom was coming changed to the kingdom of God is at hand. And so, Jesus heard that the trailer was done, and it was time for the full feature. And so, he came fulfilling the prophecies. And then a couple of verses later in verse 17, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. It was no more uh, a preview that the kingdom's gonna come, the Messiah's gonna come, the kingdom's gonna come, the Messiah's gonna come, repent. It was repent for the kingdom of God is here. It went from the one who would prepare the way to the one who is the way. And so Jesus comes preaching the message of the kingdom. Repent. Change. Turn away from. Change wholeheartedly and go in a different direction. Go in the direction I will lead you. This kingdom that the Israelites were waiting for was coming. And the king was here. And the king was bringing his kingdom. Follow me. And so Jesus was, was walking beside the Sea of Galilee one day. And he saw two brothers, Simon Peter and his, his brother Andrew. And they were casting nets into the lake because they were fishermen. What else do fishermen do? Come. Come. Follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. And Jesus begins to recruit his kingdom followers, bringing his kingdom message to that area that was predicted. He is now beginning to recruit those who would be his kingdom followers. This invitation to follow after me. Follow me invitation. I will make you formation, fishers of men, participation. I I learned this verse early on. I'm sure somewhere there was a gold star for memorizing this verse that come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He was clear what he was calling his people to and to do. Follow me. An incredible invitation, an incredible call. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of mankind. And he begins this kingdom recruitment with some of the least likely, unqualified, unexpected, surprising, least schooled people which then leaves room for me to join in. Follow me. And at once they left their nets and they followed him. Really? And we have to pause here for a minute because there's either background or speculation or some things just to Ponder. Is this the first time they experienced Jesus? Well, obviously he had been in that region, it said, and he had begun to preach the kingdom of God is here, so repent. And all three of the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke say the same thing. But see, we have this other gospel, John, who in chapter one makes it seem as if these guys had met Jesus before, still in the ministry of John the Baptist when he was baptizing. So maybe like a movie, they added a little bit of a preview and a trailer, and then they went home from that region here, and then lo and behold, here comes the king calling for his kingdom. And maybe that, maybe that early discussion with what he was saying in their region with this call, they surrendered everything. This time they followed him in a decisive act and as much commitment as they could. And going on from there, Jesus saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. And they were in a boat with their father preparing their nets. And Jesus called them. And immediately, they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. Right? Zebedee and sons fishing became Zebedee and hired hands, unless there were other brothers. They left everything, everything, because the invitation is so compelling. The invitation is so inclusive to come follow me and they dropped everything and they followed him I played sports growing up Um, I wasn't good enough to ever get a phone call from a college coach to recruit but when I think of this that's in my estimation is what that must have felt like to have a call from a coach recruiting you to come play for my team or maybe you're a struggling chef just you know, cut above chef boyardee and you got a call from thomas keller from the french laundry come and learn from me yeah you're going to napa valley if he calls you but here's jesus recruiting like the best coach like the best chef and I'm calling you to come and follow me. Come follow me. Next week, we're gonna look at what it means to be made in the image. And after that, what it means to fish for men. But today, follow me. And and I thought about that. There's many invitations we have every day to follow. Follow people, follow things, follow ideas. But who or what I follow will determine where I go and who I become. And these fishermen made the decision to follow Jesus where he would lead them, and they still had yet no idea fully what that meant I don't even know if they had a 10% understanding, but they went. And we all we all follow. Every day we follow. The question is who or what are we following? But Jesus says, follow me. So what does that mean to follow him? What was this invitation to or for? So join him as a disciple. It's this invitation. It was spoken with authority. It was alive and life giving. It was movement. It was experiential. It was to participate and not to spectate. The call to follow is not a spectator sport. I don't know if nobody has ever has ever told you that before, but if I'm the first one, I'm so sorry for whoever else didn't tell you that following Jesus meant you follow. Not with your TV remote, not with your digital download of hey, what's happening today, CNN. It's participation, not spectation. Is that the right word? You know what I'm saying? Follow me. To be my disciple. One who learns, a student, pledging allegiance to an apprentice, a follower, somebody that would be molded in the shape of Jesus. Follow after me. I love this definition I came across in two different books from uh, my studies over the last few weeks. It says, a disciple is someone who is following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, and is committed to the mission of Jesus. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. That's the definition here. If we're struggling to figure out what does a disciple mean and what's the definition, this seems to be as good as any. Kind of seems like they took our theme verse for today and just tweaked it a little bit so they could remember it. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And so I thought about that this last couple of weeks. And as I thought about this, there were three key attributes that I thought of being a disciple. There may be more you could probably add to the list. We only have a few more minutes, so we'll stick to my three. Um, the first one is the idea of counting the cost. In many places in the Bible, in the, new, in the Gospels, we're told to count the cost. And we could preach a whole sermon on this set of verses here. But in Matthew eighteen or 8, 18 through 22, it says this. Then a teacher of the law came up to him. Jesus said, teacher, rabbi, I will follow you wherever you go. <laughs> really? And Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. And then another disciple came to him and said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead, but you follow me. And count the cost. What are you asking to do? What am I asking you to do? What is the cost? Like we sang earlier, surrender everything. And here, just some some touch points, that it's about the kingdom, and it's not about our comfort. Following Jesus is about following the kingdom of God, and it will mess with our comfort. If we're going to follow as a participant, as opposed to a spectator, it's going to mess with your comfort. Just want to make sure that we're clear on that. It's about kingdom priorities. And there's a lot of uh, give and take. What is he saying here with let the dead bury the dead? But the reality is that people matter to God and relationships are important, but the relationship with God is first and foremost and everything should flow from that relationship. Follow me. Don't focus on what you're walking away from, but focus on what you're walking toward. Because doesn't Jesus lead us to people? In Luke, in chapter 14 of Luke, he talks about counting the cost. He says, Unless you hate your mother and your father more than me, you cannot be my disciples. And we know that's not truly about hating your parents. But your love for me, like we talked about the last few weeks, must be so significant that the love you have for your family pales in comparison. And then he says, don't you, before you build, don't you sit down first and consider the cost? Lest you start building and you can't complete it and people ridicule you. And then one sadly that we can empathize with in regards to war, that you have at home with your smaller army, an army that's coming that's twice as large as you, do you not sit down first to weigh out the cost and ask for terms of peace? "Follow me has a cost." And if you raise your hand about singing earlier, you just sang the fact that you laid down everything to follow him. That's the cost. The second I call kingdom aligned living, that Matthew would say this, then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. And I wonder sometimes, do we struggle with why life still doesn't seem to have the meaning we expect it to have? And I wonder, have we truly laid down our life to follow him for a life that is never ending? A life beyond significance, a life that will bring eternal significance. But are we still settling for our own kingdom? Wondering if we can just have addition as opposed to submission to his priority. And I wonder, I wonder if this is why we're still struggling to find out, God, why does my life still not seem to be making the sense that it should? Because God, some days I don't want to lay it down. That's not exactly how I pray it every day. Uh, usually at the end, it's like, God, I'm sorry, but your mercy is rich and greatly appreciated. Thank you for tomorrow. Let me help me to do it better tomorrow. Whoever wants to be my disciple, here's the, the entrance question or the requirement. I have to put my priorities down and take his up. And is that really so bad? Don't we sing, He's a good, good father? We sang that song about his goodness. Wasn't that song number two today? If he's a good father, he gives good gifts, he lavishes. But are we sometimes so fooled to think what I can do for myself is better what God wants to do for me? Our priorities, he says, have to be realigned. And he is a good, good father. And then obedience. Obedience. At the very end, and we're going to get to this in a couple weeks, but at the end of Matthew, he says this very familiar verse that I'm sure you know as well. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations... And teaching them to obey. Obey. Everything. I have commanded. If I'm the disciple and he's the teacher. He is teaching me day after day. Not just to know. What he said. But to know it and obey it. I can know it just sitting. Spectating. But if I'm going to obey it. I got to go. And follow him. Obedience. Obedience. And and there's this story in Matthew and in Luke, I believe, as well, but we call him the rich young ruler. We don't know much about him. I guess he was young. He might have had some money. He did have money because Jesus said so. But he came one day when Jesus was walking by and he said, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he says, Well, you know the commandments? He says, I've kept those since I was a kid. He's like, Good, then sell everything and follow after me. And then he weighed the cost. Dang, I'm very rich. And he walked away. And he followed his own kingdom. And not the kingdom of God. And the disciples were watching. They were listening. They were astonished. Because the rich had everything. And this guy was walking away from it. And Peter's just like, Jesus, help me. The rich have everything. And if he can't get into the kingdom of heaven, we've left everything. We've left everything to follow you. We've left it all to follow you. And Jesus says, Peter, don't worry. You'll get a hundred times more in this life and how much more in the life to come. Yeah, you leave it. God will fill in. But finally, in eternity, he has blessings beyond compare. And really? The self sufficiency of this rich young ruler, of ourselves, is that really worth keeping me from following? Because my kingdom is better than your kingdom? Says obey. Obey everything I've taught you. You see, right after this chapter four, there's chapter five, right? I can, I can do math. In chapter five, do you know there's a sermon there? Anybody know what that sermon's called? Sermon on the Mount. And so he gathered his disciples, the class, come listen about the character of the kingdom and its principles. And he teaches At the very end, he gives this incredible, incredible application. He says, there were two guys who built. They all heard the instruction. They all heard the words. (laughs) One builder decided to build on sand. And when the storms came and judgment came and things came, Because he built on the sand, when the storms came, his house was utterly ruined. But there was another builder who heard the same words, but put them into practice. He was like one who built his house upon the rock. So when the same storms of life come to all of us, that house stood probably battered some because we've all taken a few to the chin, but it stood because he heard the words and he built, because he believed, because he obeyed, because he followed the plan of the master. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, who obeys, who follows, hmm. is like that wise builder, that wise person who built his house upon the rock. And the rains came down, and the streams came up, and the winds blew and beat that house, yet because of the foundation was on the Messiah, the house stood. And not just the test of times in this life, but so blessed in the life to come. Disciple. You know, in the, in the New Testament, the word for Christian is only used three times, twice in Acts and one in First Peter. in 290, some odd times. The word disciple is used. And I wonder, I wonder if we decided, hear me, to stop being Christians and to start or continue being disciples. What would that look like? God, I thank you for the gift of this day. God, I thank you for these words you preached to my heart. That my friends here could hear our conversation. God, it is a challenge. It is difficult. There is a cost. I do have my own priorities. And sometimes I like to just sit on the sidelines But you know that you see me and you hear my confessions and you challenge me. But God, you woo me. Like we talked about in the last series, that that your call is called with love because you have loved us with an everlasting love and you draw us. You call us, you invite us to follow you with your ever loving kindness. That even when we make mistakes, you fix it. Like any master-apprentice relationship, yeah, there's difficult lessons, but you, you do so in love. But God, your invitation, your invitation to follow you is incredible. You waited all of eternity for the moment we heard that call. And God, you offer us eternity if we would answer that call. Lord, help us to take these words today in your scripture to wrestle with those things, to be bolstered by your truth so that we can follow you. And I, I pray for myself and those others that are in this room or watching that that may struggle with a call to follow. God, you are rich in mercy, you are extravagant with love. And your compassion fails not. God, help us to follow you. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Pastor Tim Ruiz, Senior Pastor of Cedars Church of Newark. They're meeting at 38325 Cedar Boulevard in Newark. Service times at 9.30 a.m. live and in person, and then 11 a.m. worship service as well. You can get information on the web at cedars.com or you can call area code 510-791-8555 that's 510-791-8555
1: This has been the Church of the Week showcasing churches and pulpit ministries from across the greater San Francisco Bay Area To nominate your congregation for Church of the Week please email us the name and address of your pastor and church along with a link to your church's website to salemsf.com. Again, that's the name and address of your pastor and church, along with a link to the website and email to salemsf.com. While all submissions will be considered, not every submission is guaranteed airtime. Thank you for joining us today, and be sure to tune in again next week at this time for the Church of the Week.